The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Everton enter the dice age with a mammoth afternoon against Arsenal. Meanwhile, City stay at five below after failing again at Spurs. They now have the most one-sided North London record since Diamond Lights and, breaking news, a major investigation into financial irregularities. With Liverpool, meanwhile, going to the dogs at Wolves, we'll be talking about that and all the big stories and signings from the weekend, from the novices to the, the novices to the nevises. It's all in this Totally Football Show. Right. Mm, it is, listener. Monday the 6th of February. How about that? Well done, everyone. Joining us here in the studio, we've got Adrian Clark. All right, Adrian. Hello. All right. Lovely to see your big smile. <laughs> also, John McKenzie. Hello. Hi, John. Nice. And joining us from Shea Him, Daniel Story. Good morning, James. Daniel, good morning to you. Adrian, I understand you have a theme of the weekend. I do. There was a definite theme and a very clear theme, and it was colossal central midfield performances. Oh, yeah? Everywhere you looked. Really? They were central midfielders dominating. It started with Joao Palinha. In the, in the game on Friday night against mm. Chelsea. He was mammoth. Onana, I thought, for Everton, was different class. And then and then across the weekend, I think Declan Rice was majestic against Newcastle. Lamina for Wolves against Liverpool. And then finally, uh, Heuberg was, was, oh, yeah. was, was another sort of 8, 9 he, out of 10 yeah. against Man City. So, yeah, I think that was the theme. Very, very interesting. Daniel, colossal midfielders? Yeah, my, my theme of the weekend was that three clubs didn't sign a permanent player in January transfer window and they were Brentford, Everton and Manchester United and all won at home this weekend. So maybe transfers aren't everything. Or maybe if you buy some players it's going to take a while for them to bed in. John, what was your take on the weekend? Just like a big broad brushstroke take. Yeah, it was a, I thought it was a great weekend of football, wasn't it? It was as a... I was about to describe myself as a neutral then, but I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a neutral. You're but not. Um, looking at the other games, I, I enjoyed what went on. Where do your affections lie? My affections are pointed towards Leeds. Okay. Now, the, the lights of Elland Road may have dimmed slightly in the mm. last calendar year, but I'm, I'm still there. All right. Excellent. We'll be talking about Leeds. Yeah. You will be talking about Leeds, I'm sure. Can't wait. Let's get the scores, though. The headline, Saturday, as we mentioned, Dyche debuted at Everton for its first trick and beat Arsenal. City, though, also lost the following day. 1-0 at Spurs. Harry Kane with the goal. Becoming Tottenham's record goal scorer. Man United have moved up to third past Newcastle after their 2-1 win against Palace. Spurs are a point behind the tune in fifth place. At the other end, Wolves' 3-0 victory over Liverpool sees them leap out of the danger zone to 15th, while Klopp's side slide down to 10th, one point off the bottom half. Everton, Bournemouth and Saints are the bottom three. Leeds only goal difference ahead of them. And West Ham only one point better off than Leeds. Crikey, where are we going to begin? With Everton Arsenal. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Over the corner comes and it's headed in. It was McNeil's delivery and it was Tarkovsky's header. On Sean Dyche day one, it's an old Burnley double act that's done it for Everton. Woohoo! Dyche to see you. The Sean Dyche debut at Goodison Park. Everton had lost eight straight games coming into this. So, of course, Sean begins by not only winning, but winning against the league leaders. Uh, a lesson from the old school, or was it? Adrian? <laughs> it was. Uh, very few teams in the Premier League play this style of football anymore, do they? I, th- I think it almost Arsenal were out of practice. What style of football? What well, Dyche ball. Uh, direct, aggressive, abrasive football. You know, he's unapologetic about it, and rightly so. It's his way. I have to say that this is one of the best managerial, tactical performances of the weekend. Maybe one of the best from a new manager that I've seen in ages. Mm. You know, it had a matter of days, and the organisation was amazing in terms of the four-five-one. Um, the way that he got a tune out of the players in terms of their application was extraordinary. I think they ran three kilometres further than they had done in any other game this season, which tells you something. It, it was glorious from an Everton point of view. 
Arsenal, I think, were a bit rusty at dealing with that kind of tactic. And it took them a half to get going. In the end, I think you can't begrudge Everton the, the victory. The, the goal that won them the game was something they were, they'd were clearly identified a weakness in Arsenal's defensive setup from corners. They tried four or five far post corners in this game, aiming for either Tarkovsky, Calvert-Lewin or Anana. Various little routines and finally it paid off. Mm. They isolated Erdegaard and it, it was really, really cleverly done. They actually had Dukure pinning William Saliba inside the box because he was the guy that should have been covering the space at the far post, but he couldn't move because because Dukure was stood in front of him. Erdegaard against uh, against Tarkovsky was a mismatch and, and the game was won. Magnificent. Mm. And Goodison Park was rocking once again. Mm. What a new manager bounce. Was it just Burnley ball or was there something else that Sean brought to the party? Yeah, I mean, Adrian's saying it's one of the best performances of the weekend. I'd say maybe one of the best performances of the season. Of I the thought season. it was incredible. Obviously, the context, as Adrian says, is this is a manager coming with a few days to work with a, a squad um, and came in and set up in a way that we didn't expect. Like everyone thinks 4-4-2, right? Sean Dyche, that's what we that's what we know about him. Sometimes a 4-4-1-1, as he likes to point out. He's very, very tactically adept. Um, but this was, this was different. He came out in a, a 4-5-1 and he had, I think, identified the fact that Arsenal are really dangerous if you can give them space in the middle. And mm. they're really dangerous because they have the flexibility to move midfields around to generate that space. Uh, and so what he did is he, he dropped one of his forward players from the from the two in a 4-4-2 into the midfield. Would that he, be reverting? Reverting the <laughs> forward? Yeah, re- reverting back to, to mm. the norm, yeah. Um, dropped him into the midfield and they had this really flexible press where, uh, depending on which side the, uh, of the pitch the ball was on, one of the players would step up aggressively uh, and force them back. Didn't allow anything in the middle. They doubled up on the wide players. Obviously, Martinelli and Saka are really dangerous players in their own right. They were really good at just getting those wide players tracking in, making sure they couldn't get um, isolated against fullbacks. And yeah, they, I think in every phase of play, this is what I said in my video that I did for Tifo, they had a plan. They, they could step up and press into, into the higher areas, cause problems up there. Also, their, their low block was, was exceptional, as you would expect from a Sean Dyche team. He loves to talk about the V in the, in the penalty area, which is the area where they try and block off. And if you actually look at the shot map, there's mm. no shots really coming in that that kind in of the area. V, so, yeah, radiating so out from the, from the goal, centre of the goal. The goal to the edge of the penalty right. penalty okay. area, and uh, yeah, very little given away in that sort of area. And yeah, the underlying numbers suggested that it was a very well-deserved victory. So yeah, really good performance. Ooh, Daniel, slice and dice. <laughs> wait, wait, what did you make of it? And can he do it again next weekend when Everton have the derby against Liverpool? Uh, he will use the the opposition as further motivation he will have done that this weekend um I, I you know I, I said on this show repeatedly i think if they appoint Sean Dice they stay up and i didn't think it would happen quite so quickly i didn't necessarily think it would happen against arsenal but all the principles are there you know you look at that team and what everton have are center backs that Sean Dyche either knows already in Michael Keane or James Tarkovsky or would love love to have already managed in his career, i.e. Connor Cody. They also have fairly defensive fullbacks who aren't necessarily bothered about flying forward and overlapping. They have wingers and they have a striker who has been desperate for service and has struggled for goals, partly because he's been out of nick and partly because he's had to kind of drop back so deep because Everton don't really have the ball and Calvert-Lewin stayed high. They... They should have scored two other goals from headers. Calvert-Lewin missed one. Decore missed a really good one in the first half as well. They just bullied Arsenal into submission. And I knew this, what they would do. The question is, is the kind of eternal question for the, for the rest of Everton's season is, this is no longer going to be a surprise. This is what Burnley will do. Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> Wonderful Freudian slip. Even Arteta did that. Did you say that? <laughs> yeah, did he? Post-match interview, he referenced there you Burnley. Go. It's amazing. I did. I did it. I did it on the live show. Well, it was a Burnley yeah. one-two for the goal as well. Yeah, wasn't exactly. It? I think we just all had Burnley on the brain, didn't we? Uh, it was. Yeah, it was like watching Burnley. That is what Everton Lee will do for the rest of the season. <laughs> and at Burnley, that stopped working because teams worked out, and the players weren't good enough to adjust. Uh, I think Everton have better players. It's whether when they play teams who know how to counteract that, what happens. But I would back them to stay up with some ease now. Mm. That's now four losses and one draw in Arsenal's last five visits to Goodison. Incredible stat that you probably saw. All five of those have been against different Everton managers. In fact, all six of Arsenal's last six visits to Goodison have been against different 
bosses. Crazy. That yeah. is extraordinary. Well, yeah, this new stadium can't get built quickly enough from an Arsenal perspective. <laughs> let's, let's get it up um, as soon as possible. Yeah, but it, it, what they did do, they did improve slightly in the second half. They didn't create that much Arsenal. It was a definite off day. Um, when you talked about the doubling up out wide, absolutely that was a thing. What they did, and they did recognise it, the, they started to make these runs from, from out to in, Saka and Martinelli. It was, a, it was a good tactical adjustment. And all of Arsenal's best moves in the second half came from those kind of movements. So I wasn't completely disheartened by the display. It was They deserved to lose the game, but I, I don't think this was a, a disastrous display. Uh, also, a pretty good display from an Arsenal point of view was what happened at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday where Spurs beat Man City 1-0. We're going to talk about what dropped from a city point of view on Monday morning very, very shortly. Looks pretty huge. But first of all, let us salute the extraordinary goldsmith that is Harry Kane. Hoiberg stepping in. Yeah, what a fantastic player he is. I think it incredibly goes underneath the radar a little bit just how good he is because he is so fantastic so consistently. And um, yeah, it was great to see him getting getting that goal, which takes him beyond the record. I think that's uh, well-deserved. He has been uh, a fine servant, as they say, for, for Spurs. So it's nice to see that being rewarded. But mm. Harry Apart Kane... that bit where he didn't turn up for... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but well, yeah, no, but in general, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of those players who I think you really have to see in the flesh. Um, I was thinking about this this morning. I, when I was an undergrad, I went to St Andrews in Scotland where they play a lot of golf. And I used to play golf on the courses that you would then see very good golfers play on. Mm. And it's only when you're playing on a golf course that you're used to playing on mm. and seeing a pro play on it that mm. you realise how bad you are at golf. And I think I've, I've had the same experience watching, watching Harry Kane play football because when you see him in the flesh... He does things that are just are just remarkable. I remember the, the game that saw Marcelo Bielsa get sacked against Spurs uh, about a year ago, actually, to not not far off a year ago today. They lost four 0 in that game, and Harry Kane played a pass to Hyungmin Son that was just the most incredible pass. I was sat in the cop, so I was looking down the field rather than across, which is what you usually do. And you only get pundit brain when you see the ball just going side to side. But I was sat, I was stood directly in the line of the of the ball over the top, and it was just remarkable and uh, yeah it was that it was that moment where I was like yeah you know well I, I, know, I knew he was good before that no, there, but no there spoilers is... but yeah, yeah. But it, 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 just seeing him in the flesh it does something to you and I've seen him play a lot and he's just incredible so he's reached 200 Premier League goals 267 all in all for Spurs 200 in the Premier League he's done it faster than Shearer did and it's the fact that he's not just a striker. He has that, dare I say, Totti-esque ability to spray mm. the spray the ball that is just phenomenal. Adrian? Yeah, he, he is a great all-round striker, isn't he? He's got the lot. He could be a midfielder, couldn't he? I, th- I think he, when he gets into his mid-30s, he wouldn't surprise me if he did drop back a la Wayne Rooney just to spray the ball around. He's got that ability. But no, and it was a really good finish. I think it was a sort of trademark Kane goal. Hjoyberg deserves great credit for the way that he stole possession as Manchester City played out from the back. It was really sloppy from them. But it was, yeah, clinical one-touch finish. And and actually just seeing that smile on his face, even though you know I'm of an Arsenal persuasion, you, you can't help but feel happy for um, for someone like that. He's a nice guy and he's he clearly meant a lot to him to break Jimmy Greaves' record and and now that he's finally done it, Shearer is in his sights for the for the big Crikey. one. How many is he off that? Sixty-seven, is it? <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't know. Some goals. Anyway, we're gonna find out. As yeah. he gets close, it's gonna be mentioned I'm sure City who'd wanted Kane of course but uh, stuck with the hapless Erling Haaland uh, he was also making history in this game he had zero shots in a match not only for the first time in the Premier League but Tor Haugsgaard reports for the first time in any game that he's played since Dortmund met Duisburg in the German Cup on the 14th of September 2020, as you recall, Daniel. Indeed, I do. Duisburg, mm. famous to me for its appearance in the League of Gentlemen. That's how I knew how to say that. Oh, city name. is... Uh, Herr, what's his name? Is Herr from Duisburg. Yes, Herr Lip is from Duisburg. Herr Lip is from Duisburg, is he? Duisburg yeah. have a zebra for their badge as well, don't they? If I, if I recall correctly. Is that correctly. right? Yeah, which okay. is quite fun. Okay. I have nothing Duisburg to offer. <laughs> <All right. laughs> what, do you feel, what do you feel about uh, Erling Haaland not having... 
How much does it tie in with the disappearance of Zhao Cancelo mm. and the fact that KDB was on the bench? What's going on there? Very, very strange. Should Bayern be preparing a guest room for, <laughs> for Kevin? I don't know. Surely not. Surely not. But it doesn't look right, does it, at City at the moment? The Cancelo one was a bit weird. Rico Lewis has done very well. I think Nathan Ake's form has, has contributed to him going off of Joao Cancelo, who clearly isn't the type to be a sub. I think that that, that much is clear. And, and Pep has made a big call by weakening his, his armoury for the second half of the season by letting him go to Bayern Munich. Uh, having watched the last two City games, the one against Arsenal in the Cup and this one, they are flat at the moment. It's it's slow. The way that they play out from the back is is quite predictable. I mean, against Arsenal, they, they stopped trying. They just went hoofball to, to Erling Haaland. It's not flowing at all well. And, and the team selections are, are peculiar. The one thing that really stood out for me in this one is not just that he, he didn't have a shot Erling Haaland. He had one. He only had one touch in the box last weekend as well. And listen to this: that the four players around him in in this sort of four four two style uh, style system, um, Alvarez, Mares, and Grealish. They found Erling Haaland once in the entire match, and they had a lot of the ball. Manchester City one pass, and that was from Grealish in the entire match. So they are not cohesive, and he is not linking play in the way that Harry Kane does for Spurs, for example. So, yeah, very stilted going forwards, which is which is unusual. The numbers say that when KDB on, came came on, he created more chances in that 20-minute spell than any of his, his teammates had done in the, in the rest of the game. Is that a fair reflection? Did he did he make that much impact? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, with respect to the, the you know, the, the tired-out trope of uh, Pep tink, mm. tinkering, I think is the word that people like to use or, or um, yeah. Pep roulette. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I'm going to say something that's probably going to be unpopular amongst most people, but I think it's he gets a hard rap with that because I think the thing with Pep is that he innovates all the time. He's a problem-solving manager. He sets his teams up to be able to exploit weaknesses of the teams that he's facing. And most of the time it works out. When it works out, people are like, well, it's Man City, isn't it? They've got the better players, et cetera, et cetera. When it doesn't work out, they're like, well, here we go, Pep, Pep managing to Pep it up again. Um, and I always got kind of, I always try and respond to when he when he makes those sorts of decisions, thinking about like what, what was it that he was trying to do. He was, he was clearly ch- changing things up, um, a number of things, were, were different so he, Rico Lewis was we talked about him being a central midfielder who averts last time I was on he was on the other side of the double pivot so um, usually he's on the right he was on the left this time around uh, and they played a sort of you could call it a 4-4-2 but obviously with the the, the inverting fullback yeah. it became like a 3 Three, five, two, as well. So he's clearly trying to do something. He was dropping Kevin De Bruyne for tactical reasons, in his, in his words. The, right. the thing is, is when you bring on a player like De Bruyne, they're so good that they end up sort of having these moments which produce things that the the system would never produce, um, and which which makes it a sort of difficult prospect, really. Daniel, was it you who was pointing out as well that he is a man who has been able to manage not just at City but in, at other super super clubs? Incredible collections of superstar players without mostly uh, a hint of, of, of dissent from them, even when they were left on the bench. As such, his, his, his man management skills shouldn't really be questioned too much. No, I, th- I think the, the one potential criticism is that when something goes awry, whether it's tactical or not, his reaction is generally tactical. I think there probably is a body language issue at City. I don't think it's any coincidence, although in very different circumstances, I don't think it's a coincidence that last season's top three Liverpool, Chelsea and Manchester City are all way off it this season at the same time for different reasons. But I think that's too coincidental. I think there has been a, an, an inevitable kind of sigh of, not of relief, but a kind of sigh of exhaustion after those title chases. And I think his reaction to that is is normally to, to try and innovate tactically because that's what he's good at. And when that doesn't work, inevitably that draws criticism. Yeah, I, I was very surprised by the formation yesterday. I mean, before the game, I looked at it, and I'm a, I'm a tactical dunce, really, but I looked at it and I thought, well, Spurs are probably the most renowned counter-attacking team in the Premier League, and you were basically playing with two defenders for most of it. It was this kind of 2-4, what was it, 2 or 2-3-4-1 two, or whatever it was. And yeah, it they it looked like that, particularly in the second half. De Bruyne, they, they did create more chances or more openings when De Bruyne came on, but they also looked really open. And the whole point of... Guardiola football is you meant to kind of control the controllables and there was no control in the second half of that game. 
We say Spursy, don't we? Um, usually in a negative uh, way. But mm. is there anything more Spursy than Manchester City going to to play them away from home and then well, ending up losing? Not at this stadium. So we, we, we talked about uh, Arsenal's problems at Goodison, but Man City, five visits to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and not a single goal. So why, why would that be? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Eight, like, it's 84 yeah. shots, which is a lot of shots yeah, to take without scoring. 84 shots. Yeah, so yeah. they've That's taken astonishing. to, to no goals. Yeah. Yeah, it, is, it is amazing. Right. Um, I, I was surprised at the formation. Obviously, he's putting a lot of faith in young Rico Lewis, isn't he? And and I, I see a good player there, but I don't see someone that's a game changer yet in terms of being that person that comes into midfield and, and, and does what Zinchenko does for Arsenal, for example, in terms of making those passes. For me, it was a wrong match to play this formation. Spurs go with the two central midfielders normally, don't they? And I think it's a it's a weakness of theirs because you can overload them in there. And and what Pep did here was do the, the opposite of that and actually just go with Rodri and Bernardo plus Rico Lewis sometimes, which I yeah, I thought yeah, I thought backfired. Yeah, I did yeah, and and speaking of that counterattacking, this is a a long-term issue for City in the in the years immediately prior to, to Guardiola joining and just after he joined. Leicester used to dominate them with this soaking up pressure and then counter-attacking with Riyad Mahrez and Jamie Vardy. And basically Spurs are an upgraded version of that um, with Kane and Son. And if they get it right, then yeah, they, they, they create two-on-two or three-on-two situations more often than a team with Manchester City's control should have. Mm. Yeah, I think the, the the thing about modern football is that you want to try and get as many players forward as you can if you're if you're an elite attacking team, um, and be able to pr- protect them in behind. Uh, and that's always going to be a weakness for teams like Man City and Arsenal. They're always going to worry about how they're defending when they're attacking. And yeah, this this has proven to be the case. But I think one of the problems I think that is maybe emerging at Man City this season is usually they're really really good at counter-pressing once they lose the ball to make it hard for for oppositions to get the ball forward into those situations and I felt yesterday maybe their counter-press wasn't quite so stringent as it usually is and it meant that Spurs were able to work the ball around obviously this is what Antonio Conte works on they like to have these automatisms these patterns that they play which they, the players will know how to do uh, where players will be even without having seen them necessarily which allows them to then expand quickly through a high press and I felt that was again quite quite evident yesterday well that was Sunday then then Monday morning as mentioned a huge story uh, developing as Manchester City charged by the Premier League with numerous breaches of financial rules following a four-year investigation uh, this story Breaking now Monday morning, Matt Slater of The Athletic joins us uh, now to explain a little bit more of the background. Matt, first of all, thank you very much for taking time out from an increasingly busy morning. Could you just uh, frame uh, what is for most people very surprising news? Yeah, it's come out of nowhere slightly, hasn't it? I've I've been trying to read the Premier League handbook, James, which um, I won't read aloud. But let's let's, let's turn turn the clock back a little bit. So this, this story started... A long time ago, it started with those remarkable scoops that Der Spiegel, the um, German outlet, ran in 2018. Now, in fact, they were based on earlier scoops that the Football Leaks blog had. Now, these were all based on hacked emails, um, hundreds, thousands of them that uh, embarrassed several clubs. But we're talking about the ones that embarrassed Man City, and they ran in Der Spiegel in late 2018, and they uh, made a number of allegations to do with how Manchester City did its sponsorship deals with related parties in the United Arab Emirates. So uh, Etihad, for example, uh, and their other UAE sponsors, how it's basically another way of funneling UAE money into the club, that these sponsorships were all exaggerated, they weren't market value, and they were just ways to get around UEFA's financial fair play rules. And there were some other things in there as well. Another one, of course, was Roberto Mancini's wages at the time that he apparently, allegedly, was also being paid by a club in the UAE. Some some very lucrative consultancy work. And that, at the time, was dramatic stuff. Mm. Now, that prompted UEFA to investigate because they were they were very much in the firing line it was very much their ffp rules but of course premier league have ffp rules as well they're not as stringent as uefa's in terms of the number that you're allowed to lose every year but they're very very similar so 
UEFA investigated, everyone will remember that one. They, uh, UEFA uh, initially found Man City, eventually found Man City sort of guilty and it looked like they were heading to a, to a quite serious penalty, perhaps being banned from uh, Champions League. Man City won at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. They managed to mm. get that overturned on a 2-1 basis. Some of it was time-barred, but crucially the main part of the allegations, the UEFA allegations, were not proven. They were, there was not enough evidence. Uh, now, the Premier League investigation, related but not exactly the same, has rumbled along for four years. At times, we've wondered if the Premier League was just hoping we'd forget about it because they knew it would be hard and embarrassing and expensive. But at other times, it has popped up above the surface. Now, the last time it popped up above the surface was in the summer of 2021. We got a glimpse of what had been going on, that the Premier League had been asking Man City for documents. Man City had been saying, no, no, this is a fishing trip. We're not giving you, we don't have to, we don't have to hand you over documents. Premier League winning a series of sort of arguments. Then Man City sort of saying, well, why are we doing this? You're, you're, we looked at your handbook, your prices aren't fair. The way you do your commissions aren't fair. The Premier League kind of tweaking the rules a little bit and winning a series of arguments. And this had been going on sort of almost every other month for sort of two years. What we found out in 2021 was a judge deciding to publish some of this to say, look, there's a public interest here. Both parties, actually, Premier League and Man City, appear to be trying to keep this all secret. I, I'm going to publish some of my judges, you know, some of my rulings. You've come to my court and you've asked me to make a, you know, an assessment on 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 a what, what seems like a technical row. I'm going to publish some of it. So they did. We then hear nothing, nothing, for 18 months or so, until this morning. And what we've seen is pretty, pretty remarkable. So yeah, over a hundred charges of breaching financial rules. It was only a couple of weeks ago in Italy that Juventus were fined 15 points by the league for breaches of financial rules over transfers. And they've got a separate inquest going on into the way they've been handling wages. Could we expect similar kind of penalties in this case? What, 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 are, the, what are the potential punishments for Man City? This is what I was reading the handbook for. We just don't know. But do you know what? A hell of a lot could happen. Mm. The Premier League reserve incredible rights to themselves, the Premier League board. They're putting this in the hands of an independent commission. That process will go will go forward. It'll be arbitration, it'll be private. We, we, we shall await, right? These things don't happen quickly. There'll be Both sides will be assembling the most amazing legal teams. There'll be an argument about the three people who, who get to sit on this. There'll be an independent chairman appointed. Then one side will get to choose one, another side will get to choose another. Very similar to CAS, very similar to how lots of sports arbitration happens. But at the end of this, if any of these charges are proven, the Premier League have incredible rights. They, they have a bit of a blank page here. It could be fines. It could be points penalties. It could be summary executions. Not that. It could be relegations. It could be all sorts of things, right? It is not laid out. There is not a table mm. of, you're a little bit over, we're going to do this. Bit more over, we're going to do that. Pep made a kind of veiled reference to other clubs and their spending midweek. I don't know if he was aware of an announcement that was in the offing. But do you think, and again, this is breaking at the moment, but do you think that other clubs might soon be the subject of similar investigations? I, I can see what you're kind of angling at, and so I could understand what Pep was angling at as well. We're talking, you know, Ch Chelsea, right? So let's just, just and, and others that have spent a lot. Right. I don't, I don't know. I think there are sort of, let's not conflate too many things at once. But there right? has been for many years now an ongoing Manchester City investigation and there aren't outstanding yeah. investigations into other no. clubs. That much we no. can say. No, okay. no, no. However, some of the, some of the spending that we, we've been witnessing over the last few weeks and, and, and months will be looked at very closely by UEFA, who mm. are just changing their, their FFP rules, and we've written and talked about that a lot. I suspect, actually, that Chelsea are going to be fine. But there will be a lot of scrutiny on spending going forward. All right. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today to explain that. And, and best of luck with, uh, yeah, with, with all the fresh developments. Thank you. Matt Slater of The Athletic. You can catch all the latest developments, of course, at theathletic.com and across the various athletic writers like uh, Adam Crafton and Matt himself on Twitter. Next up, back to the football. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. 
The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spin once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Hello there, I'm Danny Kelly, host of The View from the Lane, the Athletics' dedicated Tottenham Hotspur podcast. If you'd like to read of that proper Spursy win, uh, join myself, Jack Pitt, Brooke, James Moore and Tim Spears, where we'll pay due tribute to Harry Kane, the club's new record goalscorer and the scourge of Pep Guardiola yet again. Just search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your pods and you'll be able to find that episode on Monday afternoon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Again, Liverpool stand like statues. Matez Cunha. Hesitancy at the back. Kilman's header is blocked. And Dawson marks his debut with Wolves, second of the game. And Liverpool are 2-0 down inside 12 minutes. Shambolic defending. Craig Dawson, Ballon to his friends with the second of Wolves' three goals in their merciless 3 0 drubbing of a side calling themselves Liverpool. Three o'clock on Saturday at Molyneux. <laughs> Remarkable. Duncan Alexander pointing out this is going to sting. Liverpool have now conceded as many Premier League goals as Everton this season. Cheap. Is there only one point? Above the bottom half of the table. Last time they finished in the bottom half of the league table, 1953-54. They are still yet to win in the league in 2023. Extraordinary. For Wolves, though, life under Lopetegui, looking pretty sweet. And they get revenge, of course, for the, uh, the FA Cup exit here as well. Let's talk about Wolves under Lopetegui. Well, I was going to say, you know, we, we talk about Harry Kane and... and Craig Dawson why can't we just enjoy them both at the same time you know why does it have to be one or the other uh, but yeah it, it's the story of this season perhaps that if you're a struggling team bringing in a new manager has actually turned out quite good this time mm. around it feels like there's very few doesn't it, Southampton doesn't it usually isn't that, that well there's there's arguments to, as to why that isn't I mean, always the case it depends but. which new manager you bring in and we'll maybe come to a, a different kind of example sure. later on in the show. Uh, yeah. yeah, see what we've done there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that in these sorts of situations, what, what we've seen this season is that there are a lot of teams, I think, who you would expect to be further up the table who haven't really performed and brought in new managers. And I think Wolves is, is definitely one of those. They brought in a new manager. They also brought in new guys as well. The aforementioned Craig Dawson. Also... This Mario Lamina fellow that you were in, mm. you were enjoying earlier on. Yeah, well, we know about him bef- from his time at Southampton, anyway. But yeah, very industrious, hard, hard work, and athletic midfielder. They probably needed that in central midfield because the the Neves um, Matinho axis, although very good, is a little bit slow. They haven't got great legs anymore. So, so yeah, I, I thought this was a really energetic performance, really hungry. They just set about their task. They really got. Mm. got after Liverpool and unsettled them. And I think that the old Wolves wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have been brave enough to, to go after them. I, th- I think the, the third goal was was brilliant from a Wolves point of view, wasn't it? On the break, uh, Gomez sloppily losing the ball, which has become a bit of a trademark, unfortunately, for him this season. 
And the way that, that Neves sort of surged down the middle of the pitch as Traore scampered up the right, I just thought, just was so determined, wasn't it? It was amazing. And, and, and it was in stark contrast to the efforts of Thiago Alcantara, who basically jogged back and, and couldn't be bothered to, to track him. Uh, Jean Matip is looking at the play. He's the right centre half. Gomez is caught on the halfway line. It's, it's a no-brainer for him to just come across there. He can't be bothered. And, and Neves controls the cross and, and slams it into the corner. It was a great goal. But from Liverpool's point of view, it was horrid. And it makes you think, if, if Jurgen Klopp didn't have Jurgen Klopp's backstory, hmm. he'd be gone by now. Do you think? Yeah. Definitely. They're so gettable, aren't they, this season? Like, yeah. You see every game like this, you kind of think the, the opposition are going to come in here and they're yeah. going to feel good. They're going to feel like they can, they can cause problems for, for Liverpool and it's just become, it's become an endless stream of those kind of games over and over again. We, so, we can carry on saying that they're knackered right. from last season. We can carry on making excuses for them, but there's also an attitude problem, in my opinion, with Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp is never going to speak to you again. Well, don't speak to him anyway. No, well, that, that's true, but uh, a, a somewhat tetchy Jurgen post-game refusing to answer the question about why Liverpool's attitude was wrong in games if it was asked by James Pearce. If somebody else repeated the question, he would then answer it, but not coming from James Pearce of The Athletic because he'd written something critical or Klopp felt he had. Well, as you say, we have been over this kind of... Mm this tired stuff about Liverpool's tiredness again and again and again. But it does seem to be reaching a bit of a crisis point, Daniel. Yeah, the other the other issue is is with the front three because they're basically trying to... The idea would be that Darwin Nunes would have sort of settled in a bit more by now so that when Cody Gappo came in, there wouldn't be two players learning on the job at the same time. I think it's five goals from 67 shots now from Nunes, which, given the quality of chances he's having, is is not good enough. He's almost, I think, half of his expected goals total he's hitting. There's another one where he went through on goal at the weekend. Might not have changed the end result, but it does kind of make Liverpool fans feel we're really having to persevere with this because with those two in the team, they're pushing Mohamed Salah so far wide right that Salah's not really having the chances he wants as well. So it's a non-functioning front three. It's a midfield that seems to be made out of sticky tape and plaster at the moment and it's a, a defence that without Virgil van Dijk looks as if it's lacking any leaders and it's a pretty obvious recipe for struggling form and we said it earlier but Sean Dyche will be absolutely loving preparing for that game next Monday night. Wow, the derby coming up then Liverpool one point off the bottom half of the table Wolves move up to 15th place at the bottom of the Premier League, you've seen uh, well wins not only for them and Everton, but also for Leicester and Forest as well. So worrying times for West Ham and Leeds, who Forest won against on Sunday. Daniel, this is a game that you you went along to, a one nil win, a remarkable volley from that man Brennan Johnson. His dad Andy must be really proud. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, they. Yeah, I mean, yeah, apologies for that slight mix-up, you know, parental uh, confusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the the moment of Forest match, really. Morgan Gibbs White standing over this for Nottingham Forest, not dealt with. <laughs> they were terrible in the first half. It was Leeds did what Leeds have done over recent weeks and annoyed Jesse Marsh who was therefore annoyed supporters and that they played pretty well until the final bit and then let themselves down but what they also did in the second half Steve Cooper changed tactics at half time because Forrest were poor in the first half he he put Sorgiore on he put Jack Cole back on he put Nico Williams out to the left wing and he basically shut up shop and Leeds didn't have a good chance in the second half Forrest have become these kind of 1-0 champions the 15 out of their 24 points so far this season have come from 1-0 wins for them at home uh, and that seems like the way they're going to try and stay up and it might well work because um, what they are good at is defending their own box and what they have in counter-attack they're not a team like Sean Dyche Everton or Sean Dyche Burnley where they shut up shop and then go direct what they do is shut up shop and then basically just leave Brennan Johnson as high as possible as soon as they clear the ball, they try and clear it to Morgan Gibbs-White. He takes it 30 or 40 yards forward and plays in Brennan Johnson. That's how they create their chances. And it's working well enough. They've got lots and lots of options on the bench, as we know. They've got lots and lots of players to come back from injury. And Caelan Navas was man of the match on his debut. So, mm. yeah, it was a good day. It was a good day without being a good performance for Forrest. Did you also want to give a shout-out to Patrick Bamford for his touching gesture? 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Football Twitter can be a bit sort of sarcastic, three ha- clap emojis, classy touch, but it really was a nice touch. Michael Doughty, who is the son of a Forest former owner who passed away eleven years ago on Saturday, is friends with Bamford and and came to the game. And Bamford brought some flowers out on the pitch, and all the fans in front of me and in the press box, we couldn't really work out what it was. Maybe if if, if we thought maybe a a fan had passed away and they were going to leave some flowers behind the goal but then he just left them at the side of the pitch we couldn't really work it out and then after the game Michael Nigel's son tweeted that that Patrick Bamford had brought the flowers onto the pitch as a kind of surprise gesture for Michael and I was a bit sad to see Patrick Bamford get a bit of stick yesterday which related only to him playing for Derby in his career which is predictable but yeah he's a lovely young man and he that's a really nice thing to do because you don't have to do things like that and you can you, know, you can do them in private and he wanted to do it to kind of make the gesture that you know he still remembers Nigel Doughty which is lovely very nice of him Leeds sitting precariously goal difference above the drop you've got Man United midweek John and again at the weekend and again at the weekend yes. Man United without Casemiro though this this midweek after his red card for United against Palace yeah, but I think from what Daniel's saying, it's it's clear that you don't need to be the, the best team in terms of defensiveness to be able to stop Leeds United from scoring. And I think this has been the problem. There's a lot of people out there who like to point at Leeds' underlying numbers. Um, but it seems to me that what is more important in assessing Leeds at the moment is the fact that they're a bit of an outlier in many respects. So very, very good out of possession, very good at the, at the, the pressing aspects of the game. Uh, but... I like, I like to teach you a concept every time I come on here. We talked okay. about inverting <laughs> centre midfielders last time around, but game, still, game state. Still working what do you on know that about one. game state, James? Games who? Game state. Game stay. Game state. state. Game state. A game state is just anything that impacts the way that Can't team we just might do the bit playing. where we repeat it back and forth? <laughs> <laughs> Tennis. Game state. <laughs> All right. Um, anything that can imp- impact the game. So, for yeah. example, if a player gets sent off for a team, it's going to change the way that both of those teams play. And right. I think one of the things we're seeing with Leeds is that um, in terms of generating chances, they're much better at generating chances when they are losing in losing positions. So goals can be something that impacts the game state. So yesterday, Nottingham Forest scored fairly Can't early on. Can't you just say goals are something that impact the game? Yeah, you can, I mean, you can say that if you want. Right. But I think game state works quite nice a concept because what it says is, actually, is there something is there something about what was going on at that point in time that changed what, what was occurring, right. as, the, as the kids say. Right. So, um, so they okay. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so Forrest scored that goal fairly early on, and then right. it was, and then it was down to Leeds to try and then get the equaliser. And and as as Daniel said, they that Forrest dropped in the second half. They became much more defensive, and Leeds didn't have any solutions to that. So you can't simply live by out of possession systems alone. You mm. do need to have some kind of in possession structure as well to to cause problems. And I think this has been the story of the whole season. I've, I've looked at some of the underlying numbers. Nice. And uh, yeah, Leeds are very Leeds are very good when they're two 0 down. Uh, generating chances, uh, much less uh, convincing when they're in a in an even game state. So when it's when it's drawing or when they're when they're one one goal down. Facing United will probably suit them then because they might easily go two 0 down and then. <laughs> yeah, they should they mm. should be brilliant. I'm not sure what they're like at four 0 down, but yeah, well, <laughs> that remains to be seen. <laughs> United do look quite good at the moment, don't they? Yeah, uh, annoyingly so, especially as a Leeds fan. Um, I think they may be running a little bit hot. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think they're outperforming. Their yeah, I don't think I don't think uh, having Leeds to visit is really going to revert them to the norm in any way. How big is this game in just in terms of you know beyond league position? That the fact that it is what the yeah, Pennine is, is it the cross- yeah? This is the game. This is the game that Leeds fans would want to win more mm-hmm. than any other game. I think Ten Hag is a significantly better game state manager <laughs> than Jesse Marsh. Okay, I just do. I, I think he's a. You can see with your own eyes that they're a much better coach team now than they were um, but he's able to flip around his tactics depending on w- w- what is happening in the game and I think the the win against Palace was a good example we obviously brought on two centre-backs at the end um, to, to shut up shop and they didn't give Palace very much in injury time it was quite you know elongated injury time in that game and, th- and there were no alarms whatsoever he, he's a really savvy coach I think Jesse Marsh is a bit of a tactical one-trick pony. I think that I think that much is clear to see, and they, he needs to improve the team when they have the ball. 
they need to actually just have the ball a little bit more Leeds to build up some attacks they don't build up anything really it's all about the transition and you can't can't rely on that all the time the, the mad thing is that they in January they they doubled down on Jesse Marsh um, they they hired Chris Armas as a as a coach uh, an American guy they signed Weston McKenney an American guy they bought uh, Jorginho Rutter for £35 million. Um, Jesse Marsh, after the game yesterday, was sort of saying that the problem is, is we've got young players that lead, need to learn. And lots of teams have done that this season. Southampton did it in the summer. Um, the problem is you don't really get time to learn on the job in the Premier League if you're expected to be in a relegation battle. And I mean, the, the kind of romantic storyline here is obviously that Marcello Bielsa makes his, his intentions that he wants to get back into management clear to Everton but gives them a proposal that they're never going to accept and then that pricks leads ears up enough that he is wanting to get back into management and, and they need a manager because they need someone who's going to come in and kind of revitalise the place. He to me seems like their only option as the next manager to try and stay in the Premier League. And is, yet, that, is that a thing? Bielsa back to Leeds? Well I just... I don't know. I don't know if it's a thing, but I, I, He's I don't a think. Thing. <laughs> I don't think that's. I don't think that's. Here a we squad. go. But Bielsa <laughs> taking over in mid-season should never work. Right. But at least he has already been at that club, so right. there's a degree of sense made there. And also, what they need is a massive lift because there's such a disconnect between the supporters and the manager, and therefore the club as well. Now, All because right. the club have backed the manager so much, they need something to bring everyone together. And you know, the firefighter in Sean Dyche has already gone, so do you just lurch for the complete opposite and that's what Everton chose between. I love it I love it what was was see John I mean your your eyes are shining with delight at the notion well I, I don't know if I'd have Bielsa back much, really much as I love him and right. I will always love him um uh, yeah I'm not and I'm I'm convinced that we wouldn't have him back under okay. Radritzani I think Radritzani the Lee's owner tweeted a couple of days ago saying that he tried to get in touch with Bielsa for the last year and I gave the impression that he hadn't got back in touch so right. whether or not that's going to happen I, I, I don't okay, know maybe, maybe not on that one then Daniel alright well, well anyway Man uh, romance United... isn't dead again mm. <laughs> never mind Man United Leeds is 8 o'clock on Wednesday probably the most action packed game of this past weekend came at Villa Park we saw a stirring come from behind win from Czech's notes. Leicester. Leicester. Leicester, the team that dropped points. Don't, don't pick them up off other clubs. But here they were, going behind against Villa and coming back to win 4-2. How, how, how big were the, the new signings for the Foxes in this? Well, they did make a difference. Uh, Brendan Rodgers did what other managers this weekend resisted, and that is put a, bu a bunch of new signings into the starting eleven. And I, I kind of get the feeling he had to because he spent so long moaning, Brendan Rodgers, about the lack of quality in his squad and how far behind they are, that had he then sat them on the bench, it wouldn't have been a good look. So he had to roll the dice and it did invigorate the team. They they caught Villa on a bad day in terms of defensively. Tyrone Mings had a, had a poor game. I think their back four in general really, really struggled with them. Um, and it was it was a bit of a classic, wasn't it? I, I really enjoyed watching the game. I thought they were great goals. Tete, the winger, looks particularly exciting. I love I love to see a winger run at run at players, and there was no inhibitions at all on his part. So this win will just lift Leicester, won't it? At the, at the right time, and 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 I would imagine they'll they'll hurtle up to mid table soon <laughs> enough. Okay, I mean they're up to fourteenth with this. They're now. Three points are so not that much off the bottom three, but moving in the right direction at least. They're, they're always worth goals. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I wanted to mention on this game, and it, it also relates to Tottenham, Manchester City, is that I th we've seen in recent weeks when new managers are doing this kind of playing out from the back thing, it's at Wolves and certainly at Villa, that fans kind of seem to panic when central defenders get the ball. And often it's not the central defenders that have the biggest problem because they're looking forward and seeing the whole pitch. The problem comes when a defensive midfielder has to kind of run back towards his own goal and then collects the ball with looking blind. That's what happened to Bubakar Kamara for Villa uh, for Leicester's equaliser against Villa. It's what also happened to Rodri in both the games against Spurs. And I think if you can, if a manager, you can see that a defensive midfielder is running towards their own goalkeeper and that's the only option. 
James Madison spotted it straight away, right in on his heels. Don't let him turn. And then you really can turn over possession on the edge of an opposition's box. And it it takes a bit of time for those midfielders to learn that they have to either have eyes, you know, scan behind them or play a first time pass around the corner because it's so easy to get caught and it's such a dangerous position to get caught in. Yeah, very interesting. Anything else on this game or should I skip Well, it was a game that I didn't expect to watch. Right. And ended up watching it because it became nuts during Mm. the first half. Um, If you were to tell me that Brendan Rodgers and and Unai Emery were going to have the the blockbuster game of the weekend, I probably wouldn't have believed you. But yeah, it was a game that I watched completely devoid of any analysis. I just let it wash over me and it was was really good fun. And it's um, two teams who didn't seem to be able to stop the other team from transitioning. Um, and and you know it's like watching football in the old days. It was great. Right. Yeah, mm. nice, nice to see. All right, well, still to come on this totally football show, we've got word or two on the other midweek games coming up. Those uh, FA Cup fourth round replays and the other bits from the weekend. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This Man City story is the biggest news in town, so follow the very latest on theathletic.com and if you want to go even more in-depth, head over to Apple, Spotify or The Athletic app and listen to The Athletic Football Podcast. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. FA Cup fourth round replays, everyone. Tuesday sees Burnley taking on Ipswich Town, Fleetwood Town host Sheffield Wednesday, Grimsby Town host Luton Town, and Sheffield United. Get the visit of Wrexham. That's Tuesday, Wednesday. Then it's Sunderland against Fulham. A lot of people excited about Burnley-Ipswich because on the weekend, Burnley, under Vincent Company, won their ninth game in a row. They were away as well at, at playoff hopefuls Norwich and they, they beat them 3-0. They're now seven points clear at the top of the league. So we could be... That's going to be so confusing when Sean Dyche's Everton played them next Yeah, Which well, one's Burnley? Well, well to, to, to play... Spider-Man means. <laughs> yeah. To, well... Is a complete role reversal because they're the opposite of the Burnley you remember. They right, are. They, they are. They're like Barcelona the way they knock the ball around at times. Burnley in the cha- it's certainly at Championship level they they are a great possession team. Uh, they've got some really exciting wingers. Lots of players that Vincent Company identified during his time in Belgian football, which wasn't that successful. Remember, but he, he clearly has an eye for a player, and they've they've lit up the Championship. Some of these guys, Zururi in particular, is the is the star of the show at the moment. They're coming back up, definitely. So if Deitch wants, wants that reunion, he's got to stay, he's got to stay in the league. There's a, there a really good video of um, Vincent Company going around on social media this week. I don't know if you guys saw it, but talking to the Burnley players when he first arrived, I really liked it because he, he clearly has lots of interesting tactical ideas, but was very clear in setting them out in a way that was just entirely understandable. So if you get the chance to, mm. to have a watch of that. Um, yeah, he talks about... 
everything that he wants to do being about scoring goals. So he's like, I'm going to talk to you about a lot of complicated stuff right. in the next few months. But uh-huh. all of this is to do with like scoring goals. If we're taking a defensive throw in, at the end point we want to do is, is score goals. So a right. lot of this may seem to you to be sort of needless to talk about tactics, but the, the, the end goal is we're going to be better. We're going to score goals. It was right. great. Okay. There's probably a lot of game state chat. In there, probably, yeah. I'm sure he's... Is, where, uh, where would I find that video? The Burnley put it up on their okay. social media feed, Burnley. so it's on the on the Burnley social media feed. Excellent. All right. Is there another game from those midweek uh, replays that we're excited by? All of them? Anyone in particular? They're not glamorous. <laughs> it's not a glamorous list of games, is it? I think that Sheffield United-Wrexham is interesting mm. because the first game was so exciting. It was an absolute thriller. And Wrexham are... Seemingly always involved in these kind of roller coaster games, so wouldn't surprise me at all. Because I, I suspect Sheffield United will rest and rotate again. Being in the FA Cup isn't of paramount importance to them. They're of course second to Burnley in the Championship, likely to go up, but not certainly not guaranteed it. So I give Wrexham a shot here. Could be good. Could be good fun. Excellent. First leg of Sunderland Fulham was really good as well. Points out to guess pretty suggesting. Mm, yeah. No. The, the, yeah. Look, it's not. Like you say, it's not not many Premier League teams involved no. in these replays, but but there could be some good matches. Mm. Excellent. Fulham were involved in last Friday's uh, match, which I would struggle to call good. The nil nil draw at Chelsea, nil nil disappointing result for uh, Todd Bowley's side. Although Daniel, as you tweeted snarkily, I hadn't appreciated you could amortise that game. It'll be 3-0 in 2027. Yeah, that's the problem with Friday night football when I'm in the pub. <laughs> so I will get loose-lipped about. No, I mean, it did just... The replies from Chelsea fans, which I asked for, let's be honest, were kind of like, uh, what do you expect? We've got loads of new players. And I was like, uh, what do you expect? That's what I'm saying. Like, yes, you've got loads of new players, but you're also desperate to get into the Champions League this season. So maybe having lots of new players is as much of a hindrance and a, as a help. But right. I wanted to pick out Kenny Tete and Harrison Reed for Fulham uh, rather than just <clears> Chelsea, you know, failing to deliver because they are probably two of the most unheralded Premier League players I'd have thought. And they, they were, A, they were absolutely brilliant on Friday night. And B, they've been pretty much brilliant all season. Harrison Reed is one of those players who could easily have fallen out of the Premier League when Southampton didn't really fancy him. He went to... You know, he's loaned out a couple of times. He loaned to Blackburn, I think, and he he went to went to Fulham, and now he just looks like with Polina next to him, kind of doing double energy, Duracell bunny tackles and interceptions and sprints. Harrison Reed is just this kind of composed passing central midfielder who also does those other bits as well. Not as he doesn't have to do as much as Polina, but he's just an all round central midfielder, and he looks completely at home in the Premier League's top half. They're a really well-coached team. I think Marco Silva's doing an yeah. amazing job. Um, and uh, let's compare it to Leeds. Uh, is Fulham's squad or team better, more naturally gifted than Leeds? I, I, I don't think so. I don't think there's a lot in it. Yet Fulham, under Marco Silva, do the off-the-ball stuff great, but they also want the ball. Mm. And they can use it. And I thought in this game, they were brilliant. And honestly, I thought they were so sharp for them. I know it wasn't a classic, but the way that they approached the match was so confident, and I, I loved it. Maybe that's my theme of the of the weekend. What's that? Just teams playing solid football and, mm. and getting results. So we have Everton, we have uh, Fulham as well, and that, I right. think Brentford a team similarly, right? De- set up defensively solid, really direct in possession of the ball. But as you say, they they are not scared to have the ball. They have plans for what to do when they have it, and and that's becoming a really good way of staying in the Premier League this season. It seems we've got Brentford, um, uh, Brighton. I guess we wouldn't necessarily consider in that mould, but they're up there as well, and, and Fulham all in that sort of just under the European spots this season. Chelsea, meanwhile, a long way from the European spots, 10 points behind the Champions League positions. John, you were uh, tweeting that Graham Potter, the interesting football that he was known for at Brighton, he seems to have abandoned all of that so far Mm. at Chelsea. Is that because of the massive amounts of new players that are new to him and also players that are new to the club? I think there's any number of reasons why that could be, but I noticed early on that that Potter was doing things that you might have expected him to do at Brighton. He used Raheem Sterling as a wing-back at Mm. one point. He was changing the formation quite regularly. There was always asymmetrical structures being used, which is a sort of thing that he does as well. Um, So you'd see maybe a a back three forming into a back four or a back vice versa. Um, But what we're seeing now is very bog-standard sort of back four, maybe 4-2-3-1. Everyone in, in sort of 
normal positions, not trying to do anything out of the ordinary in that respect. And yeah, I, I suspect that it's it's a combination of things that, you know, it's a, a new manager coming in and, tr- and trying to get his ideas across. And let's not forget, it took him a good while for his ideas to get across when he was at Brighton. Yeah. But it feels now as though maybe even the, 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 the players are frustrated. Maybe they're not seeing the benefits of putting a huge amount of work in on the training field and having played in, in, in other teams that just play with regular structures thinking why can't we just do what we know how to do we're the, we're the players who are being spent a huge amount of money on so right. let's, let us just do our thing European champions what 18 months ago anyone see them making top four this no. season no no, no. no. they'll be good next season All right, they'll be good but on, on that I mm. just think it sounds like he's making compromises yeah. and another manager has talked about that he certainly has let's get on to that that's a Quick, great segue. That was that was it? fantastic, Adrian. Yeah. He's, he's angling for you, I he's, think. Yeah, I was tra- careful, but you know, what? actually, the competition. Point. I welcome the competition. <laughs> I, I, a quick mention, Adrian, mm. for uh, Newcastle's one-one draw with West Ham, which saw uh, West Ham score the first goal that anyone's managed against Newcastle in the Premier League since November. It was Saints back then. Five hundred and seventy-two minutes without conceding, and Newcastle have now had four draws in their last five. They're still in the top four, though. Uh, Brighton had a 1-0 win over Bournemouth. Bournemouth have only scored one goal in their last six league games, but some promising signs, right? So Daniel Story in the eye, very nice. Oh, Casado came off the bench and was uh, warmly hailed by the Brighton fans, which is nice as well. Uh, Bournemouth dropped below Everton to 19th. Europe chasing Brighton are now 6th. One place ahead of Brentford who won 3-0 against bottom of the table, Southampton. Now, there are press conference decisions which go on to haunt their protagonists. Uh, We all remember Rafa Benitez and his facts. And, hey, Joe Kinnear with his, which one of you is Simon Bird? You're a (laughs) (laughs) But did, did Nathan Jones have his this weekend? Maybe. I mean, the reaction to it would suggest so, wouldn't it? Yeah, as you know, I know him back from my playing days. Always got on well with Nathan. But he is a, he is an open book and he is an unusual character. Mm. He's, there's only one Nathan Jones, that is for sure. And he, he's probably just talking too much at the moment. Graham Potter is compromising to to some of the, the big egos, some of the Premier League players that he's working with. And Nate, but, but he isn't talking about it. Whereas Nathan is sort of, just getting it out there. The reason I feel sorry for him is that, and he has made mistakes and some of his team selections, I think have been wrong and he's tried to correct them. He's certainly not doing a great job at the moment. I can't deny that, but he's coming from a place where he's always having to defend himself. It feels like since he walked into that job through no fault of his own, He's had to keep reminding everyone why he's been offered that job. Mm. And, and other managers don't have to do that. Um, what I think Nathan probably should have done is, is, is talk a little bit less and yeah, not, not open himself up in the way that he has because people are coming after him and they've been coming after him ever since, ever since he took the job. All right. Do you see, do you see anything in, in what he says? Do you... I think as soon as you start telling the truth in press conferences, the writing's on the is wall, is it? the isn't truth, it? though? Well, it's how he feels, isn't it? I think right. as soon as you start saying what you think is the case, then... I mean, press conferences are all about obfuscation, aren't they? And making people not think about what's actually going on. Right. So he's clearly got to a point of frustration at which he's like, I'm happy to just throw everything out there now. I, I thought it was as well a dangerous gambit to almost play the victim. Yeah, I've been the... Yeah. I've led everyone down because... You know, because I, 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 I trusted you. I did. Yeah, it was yeah. your fault. Because it was your fault. Yeah, because it was your fault. <laughs> there, was two, there were two things that, that kind of stuck in my throat a little bit. The first was he got booed because he took off Romeo Lavia and he kind of, he disagreed with that and that's fair enough, but he did it in a way that basically kind of hung Lavia out to dry, um, which Lavia's a young kid and, you know, he's basically enjoy, enjoying his first season of first team football. So that was a bit harsh. And also just PR wise telling this the fans of a Premier League club that my championship club was statistically the best in Europe is it's just Southampton fans don't care about that they care about Southampton now and it's the here and now that matters and look, I, I, I agree that he probably has made decisions based on what he thinks people want rather than what he does and that's a mistake but 
rather than telling people that's what's happened, just change it yourself. Right. I'm, let, I'm, let the kind of classic actions speak louder than words, as Adrian say. On one hand, his record in the championship is increasingly relevant to uh, Southampton lying as they do <laughs> at the bottom of the table. We should give a bit more love, though, to Brentford. How about the outside of De Silva's boot, which produced that remarkable pass for Vissa, which uh, Brentford correspondent Jay Harris, who's seen some football, called... One of the best passes I've ever seen. I, I take issue with this. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you you've made those passes in training all the time. Describe the game state for us, if you will. <laughs> I think they were ahead at the time, and it's a counter-attack, and it's a glorious outside of the foot effort. But it, it, it's not to his feet. He, he does have to break stride. He has to effectively go chasing after the ball to then make something happen. So, so Jay, look, your bar. For, for great passes is too I'm, I've got a question for you here. As, 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 a, as a, a player who played at a very high level, cross-field balls, like long, long passing cross-field balls, are they overrated by fans? Are they easier to make than some short passes? Yeah, because when you're, when you're a professional footballer and, and, and you're training every day, you can spank a ball 50, 60 yards without having to put that much effort into it. If I tried to do it now, <laughs> like I'm probably pulling a muscle and I wouldn't reach, but you, you're you're so attuned to it that, that it is like kind of hitting a 12-yard pass. It's not that different. Outside of the foot, obviously, that adds an element. And it was it was a great idea and it was a, it was a really good pass, but yeah, never been the best pass ever. It wasn't, it wasn't right to him. The other thing about your, your, your cross-field diagonal, whatever it is, is that there's that much more time for the other player to get mm. into the right place. Yeah, exactly. It's about yeah. the space that you're playing the ball into as right. much as anything as well. Yeah, right? yeah. No, it's, it's a good skill, but yeah, maybe fans sort of... It looks yeah, good, though. Rate, it? rate it a bit higher. <laughs> yeah. well, well, Jay Harris is going to be on uh, this show on Thursday. You should get Adrian back on. <laughs> right, reply. Yeah, we should actually. Uh, no, I like Jay. He interviewed yeah. me recently for the Athletic. He's Did a good he? lad. He's a good lad. But the, yeah, it, but was, it was a good but not great, great pass. La just a quick word. What's the best pass you've ever seen? Ever seen? Yes, come <laughs> on. Oh. oh, goodness me. I don't know. I bet Daniel's got one. Well, I like. It, I bet it's by the, Michael Laudrup, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Messi produced <laughs> yeah. a couple at the World Cup, didn't he? Ah, uh, yeah. That's you fair. know, that one through, uh, yeah. through, through, through sort of like a minute gap. I All thought right. that was magnificent. Kakata Crisp. Yeah, that, yeah goes, okay. that goes into the category uh, right. rather than this one. Yeah, the, okay. the Champions League final one to Crespo, mm. 2005, is amazing. I mean, but Guti's back heel is kind of the. sort of feels like the. The thing right is, knockabout that, answer, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, that was a, 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 a lot of the famous ones, like the Kikar Crespo one. When if you Google best passes ever, there's some just ludicrous yeah. stuff in there, which is on another level again. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Like with loudups, it's those. It's a you can't guess where he's going to pass, and b it's the ones that go through like four or five different players, and even the player who's receiving the pass doesn't realise it's meant for him until it's passed like two or three of those players. That's, they're the best ones. Magnificent. Well, that's been a, a, an illuminating accompaniment to uh, the weekend's action. And as I mentioned, Thursday, Jay Harris and uh, some others will be in to review what happens midweek and look ahead to another stonking Premier League weekend. So do hope you'll be joining us for that, listener. For now... Many, many thanks to Daniel Storage, Adrian Clark, to John McKenzie and to special guest producer Jesse. And you, listener, you. See you around in a couple of days' time. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.